Welcome to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. This is Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr. People call me PG, and I'm so honored to lead this amazing ministry that is really trying hard to glorify God. Listen, thank you for tuning in. Matter of fact, go to our website, tbcaugusta.org. You can find out about all the wonderful things that we're trying to accomplish for the kingdom of God at our church. Matter of fact, you can also give through Secure Give, Giveify. We pray that you will partner with us as we once again do all that God calls us to be. Well, let's get into that word and that experience. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. God bless you. Will you worship a word of prayer with me today? Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify you and we honor you for your goodness to us all. Now, God, as we come to the sacred moment, we pray that you will speak to us. Give us the grace to hear and the grace to understand. Now, as I stand, give me preaching and teaching power that only comes from you. I studied and I prayed. But I need you, God. Help us in this area of learning how to grow in forgiveness. So now, God, I pray that you allow the word to do its work. And I pray that you allow us to grow and be the better because of it. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Come on, put those blessed hands together. Hallelujah. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, let's give our young people a hand as they do an awesome and incredible job. We celebrate God's goodness. Amen. Well, guys, let's get to work today. Genesis 33, we'll begin in a series entitled The F Word. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about what is oftentimes a struggle and strain for many of us about how to forgive. Good to see my brothers from Omega Sci-Fi. Happy Founders Day to us as we share today in many years of fraternal love and fellowship and service. Genesis chapter 33, Genesis chapter 33, we're going to read around verse 1, we'll be taking the next couple of weeks to deal with forgiveness, and it's not easy, so I want you to journey with us, um, because I'm hoping that this will be something that will be helpful for us, especially as we go to the holidays, some of us know we're going to see some family that we need to forgive, so we thank you that you would once again be with us. Genesis chapter 33, beginning at verse 1, here is the word of God. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead as he approached his brother. He bowed to the ground seven times before him. Look at verse 4. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him, and they both wept. Look again. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him, and they both wept. For the time which is ours, we begin this series on forgiveness. I want to preach from this thought. I am bigger than that. Look at somebody and say, neighbor. I'm bigger than that. Lift those hands toward heaven and say, Lord, speak. We need to hear. You may be seated in the presence of our God. It was the hug felt around the world. It came as the climax of a moment that was crucial. September of last year, a young man by the name of Bothan Jean was alone in his apartment when an off-duty police officer by the name of Amber Geiger came into his apartment and shot him. We as a community, the world was traumatized. Once again, 
we saw another unarmed black and brown body lose life unjustly. We'll be honest, a few months ago they finally had the trial and she was on trial for the murder of both and Jean. Let's be honest, for many they always thinking that there it is, same thing happened again. Until to many surprise, justice was meted out, 10 year sentence was given to Amber Geiger. There was elation, there was finally some retribution consequences for wrong. And then a few days after that, the sentencing came and people were given opportunities to be able to share their thoughts. It was intriguing, my brothers and sisters, people got up and said their things and that's when it seemed as if the earth shifted. The younger brother of both and Gene, his name is Brant Gene, got on the stage and the witness stand. And in his moments, he offered this, this soliloquy. As he shared his thoughts, he began to offer forgiveness to Amber Geiger, pretty much saying, I forgive you. It's what my brother would want. He wants you to know that you are forgiven. And he then offered to surprise of many something so unusual. He said, well, can I go hug her? goes down from the witness stand. He hugs Amber Geiger, and in that moment, two camps emerged. There was one camp that suggested, my, what a picture of forgiveness. What an amazing moment. This shows the love of Christ. There were other camps that said, well, I mean, not trying to be funny. Uh, if you kill my brother, I'm not sure I could give you a hug. Either camp, and these were not folk that were not believers. This was between people who claimed to love Jesus Christ. And either way, they began to view this, this picture of, of someone having the, the gall, having this notion to say, I forgive you, and to also hug you. I wish I had time to push it from a social political perspective, not the aim I want to go. I will give you my simple commentary on this, how I would tell you that as your pastor, one thing that I want to make sure is that you know it's okay to lament sometimes. Even as people there, sometimes I do feel this pressure in culture that many times in order to massage white tears and white guilt is that it needs black forgiveness. And sometimes as a community, I want us to understand it's okay to be angry and hurt and to sit in it for a while. You shouldn't have this need or this notion and that's the truth and the reality. However, that gets manifested. But my aim today was not just how we look at it from a macro level, but how then can I look at it from a micro level because uh, we could talk about it from a societal standpoint, how we need to look at things from injustices and how do we navigate through justice and lament and forgiveness. But I want to focus in on today, not the macro of forgiveness, but the micro of forgiveness. Because beyond the whole notion from it, from a corporate cultural standpoint, what does it mean when forgiveness is required in our own personal lives? I'll be honest, my brothers and sisters, scripture is not silent when it comes to forgiveness. Matter of fact, when Jesus begins to talk about it, he does not offer forgiveness as optional or as suggestions. Matter of fact, in a conversation with Peter, he said, Peter, how often should one forgive those who have offended you? Peter gave an answer. He said, Jesus, seven times because in their day to give it three times according to the Jewish law was maximum. That was more than enough. Peter said, look how mature I am, Jesus. I not only said three, I I doubled it and added one. We can do seven times. And Jesus says, Peter, you're wrong. You ought to forgive 70 times seven. 
In other words, he gives this metaphorical number. He literally says to us that, that we should always be in the perpetual process of forgiving. Jesus is no stranger to offense. He knows uh, that there will be hurt. There will be moments when there will be people who will oftentimes uh, give us pain and hurt and betrayal. And Jesus said you should always be in the posture of forgiving. And my brothers and sisters, can I be honest with you? I hear Jesus and I, as a preacher, as your pastor, I know what I should do. I know I should always forgive. I know I should always take the high road. I know that I'm supposed to be better than what has been done to me. But can I be honest? And maybe I'm in here by myself. I know what I should do. But preacher, I'll be honest, there are moments that even though I know I should do something about it, there are many times I just don't feel like doing it. There are some moments that I have a quick conversation with God. Look, God, I'll sing, I'll preach, I'll serve, I'll give more in the tithe and offering. But what I'm asking, that may be a line that I cannot cross. I'm not sure if I'm there to forgive somebody, Jesus, because Jesus, you don't know how much it hurt me and you don't know how much pain. It, I wish I had some witnesses that could help the preacher today and say I'll be honest preacher every other thing you talk about I'll give more service I'll give more in the offering but Lord you telling me I gotta forgive Lord that might be where I cry, put the line in the sand because it's easy to hold on to anger it's easy to be mad it's easier to hold those things in your heart and I've come to let you know even though it may not be easy even though you may not feel like it the mature thing to do as a child of God is that when you have been hurt when you have been offended Jesus does not give us an out clause he says the way you respond is to forgive and my brothers and sisters I come to just be honest with you I, I come not as a paradigm of one who has, has been able to master this myself I wish that I could tell you that even as your pastor there are moments no there's some stuff that to this day is still a struggle for me there's some people to this day I really could care less if you walk by me ever again in life. I wish I could be honest. And I wrestle until I'm forced to once again read myself in Scripture. Because Jesus says, listen, Goody, even though you've been hurt and you have every right to feel how you feel, but just because you feel that way don't mean you shouldn't be the bigger person. And I know today, my brothers and sisters, I wish I could give you life stories from my own life, but there is Scripture that backs up. Someone that is lifted in Genesis chapter 33 who shows us how to be the bigger person. That's the text that lays before us today. It is here that we see two entities coming together in a period of reconciliation. On one hand, there's Jacob. And on the other hand, there's Esau. And my brothers and sisters, when you know the story, Jacob being this person of the patriarch of the faith, he is the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. Most of the pictures and the stories begin to revolve around Jacob. And that's what makes this an interesting narrative in Genesis 33 because the text tells us that when they come together, Esau sees Jacob. He runs to Jacob, throws his arms around Jacob. He hugs Jacob and kisses on Jacob to the point that emotions flow out. And they weep this a powerful picture of reconciliation my what an amazing family reunion But that's why you can't read scripture in isolation That's why you got to be careful of taking text out of context because in order to understand how powerful Genesis 33 is you got to go back to Genesis 27 
In Genesis 27 was the last time that Esau and Jacob saw one another, but that was a very different time than Genesis 33. In Genesis 27, Jacob had already defrauded them from his blessing and his birthright, so much so that he had took everything from Esau, so much so that Esau looked at Jacob and threatened his very life. Literally in Genesis 27, he says, you're going to die at my hands. So credible was his threat that Jacob's mother sent him to live in labor. At the end of Genesis 27, Esau wanted death in Jacob's life. At the end of Genesis 27, Esau wanted Jacob to die. But yet in Genesis 33, the same Esau that wanted to kill Jacob in 27 now embraces him and hugs him and reconciles with him in Genesis 33. Y'all got to help me because I began to navigate that challenge because for many of us, it's easy to stay in Genesis 27. It's easy to hate somebody and be angry with somebody but it takes maturity to move from Genesis 27 into Genesis 33 and so this message ain't for everybody because some of you want to stay stuck in 27 you want to stay mad in 27 you want to stay angry in 27 but I came to talk to some mature people today that say listen pastor I got to this point and place in my life that yes I was hurt in 27 but God give me the grace to forgive like Genesis 33. I want to be bigger than what was done to me. And if there's anybody in the house that can testify in spite of what has happened to me, my prayer is God, give me the ability to be bigger than that. That's That's the simple outline of this moment. Because even though Jacob is the greater in the narrative, Esau is the bigger in this reconciliation moment. And I want to suggest for us today That forgiveness is not an easy process. That's why you're not going to hear me tell you step by step how you should forgive. Because forgiveness is a journey. It's a process. It's it's something that you got to wrestle with every single day. And that's what we notice in this passage with Esau. Is that Esau offers as the bigger person the notion that many times forgiveness is not for the other person as much as it is for you. I'm come today. To set somebody free because you don't realize what unforgiveness is doing in your life. You have no clue what your anger is causing to happen in your life. And Esau shows us that as spiritually mature people, that even though things happened to me that I did not deserve or was warranted, I'm going to still be the bigger person. That's why someone needs to embrace today. At the end of the day, forgiveness is the first step to the process of being better. That what I'm submitting for you today is that it won't be easy, but it's a journey worth taking. There's some things, my brothers and sisters, I want to I wanna wrestle with that. I want to parse through the process that I believe in transformation that takes place in the life of Esau. How he can go from such vitriol in Genesis 27 to now valuing and loving that he appears to be in Genesis 33. He shows us that it's not easy, but it's a necessary process of reconciliation. Here it is, my brothers and sisters. Let me give you some things to think through. This, this is one of those messages that I'm hoping that you'll, you'll jot down some notes and begin to begin to navigate them in your life. Maybe I need to find out who I'm preaching to today. Who's ever been offended by somebody? Who's ever been hurt by somebody? If you say you need this, this today, say, Preacher PG, I need all of this message. So how then can we be like Esau in our text. First thing I believe that we see 
that we can somehow parse from the nuances of this passage is number one, I think that you become a bigger person in the process of forgiveness by number one, understanding the fruitlessness of unforgiveness is not worth the unproductivity it provides. In other words, what I'm submitting to you is simply this. Unforgiveness is unfruitful. When we get to our text, it's interesting to note that when you read this portion of scripture, the lesser character rarely gets any mention in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's Jacob, who literally the scriptural spotlight begins to highlight and shine on as soon as he shows up on the scene. Matter of fact, since Genesis 27, we get to see the story of Jacob, his evolution, him growing in a place called Laban, him having to endure the wrestling with God. In other words, most of the narrative concerning what has happened since Esau and Jacob last met was all centered around Jacob. It tells us every nitpicking moment of Jacob's life. Tells us how he got to where he was. How his family has grown. The whole story from Genesis 27 to Genesis 33 focuses on Jacob. Not one time is Esau mentioned since Genesis 27. He's talked about in Genesis 27 in his anger and hurt and vitriol against Jacob. And the next time we hear Esau is in Genesis 33. He is not mentioned. There is nothing said about Esau from Genesis 27 to Genesis 33. He goes from being angry and violent in 27 to now being loving and peaceful in chapters 33. And the Bible says absolutely nothing about what has happened and transpired in the life of Esau. See, that's why I want to submit for you today that, that as you mature in the faith, that there are things we ought to glean, not just from what Scripture says, but also for what Scripture does not say. And can I be honest with you? I appreciate the fact that Esau has not mentioned since Genesis 27. I'm grateful that nowhere from Genesis 27 to Genesis 33 does the Bible tell us the steps Esau takes to move from being hateful in 27 to now wishing well in Genesis 33. You want to know why? Because I appreciate the silence of the scripture in these moments because what it begins to unlock for all of us is that the journey for us to get to the place of forgiveness is unique to each and every one of us, which means that your journey may not be my journey and your therapy may not be my therapy. I'm glad that we don't know the specifics of Esau's journey. All we know is that somehow between Genesis 27 and Genesis 33 something began to work on the inside of Esau. Let me help you here because I want somebody to know we got to be careful and mindful to recognize that everyone has their own unique journey that they have to get on. You got to be careful trying to be like somebody else and navigate life like somebody else. We do not know how he maneuvered. We do not know how he dealt with his dysfunction and pain we do not know how he dealt with the hurt but all we know is something happened between Genesis 27 Genesis 33 the only definitive things that we know is that the time period between Genesis 27 and Genesis 33 was 20 years this was not an overnight thing he did not threaten him on Monday and then say it's all forgiven on Tuesday. 
there was a 20-year gap that took place between Genesis 27 and Genesis 33. Can I help you here? I'm grateful that scripture don't tell us how it took them, but it does give us the length of time, which gives us this reality that some stuff is going to take some time. That's why as mature believers, you got to be careful how you sometimes urge people to get through stuff and allow them to not allow themselves to go through the whole process. That's why there can be some well-meaning people that will tell you some insensitive things like just get over it. You should be better by now. What's taking you so long? And I've come to this place of maturity. You can't let external opinions force you to be able to assert your internal help. At some point, you got to take as much time as you need to deal with what you got to deal with and can't nobody on the outside tell you what how long you should worry how long you should deal with it how long you should be angry no baby take as long as you can because until you get it all out of you if you do not deal with it in a timely manner then guess what child of God if you do not deal with it right and do not cut it all out if you leave the root in your heart at some point that thing's gonna grow back so I need somebody to be set free today to know that whatever your process is deal with it whatever the problem may be face it if whatever the situation may be if you hurt deal with the hurt if you're angry deal with the angry at some point you need a process to get better where you are touch somebody next to you tell them take as much time as you need and that's one of the things how I see so many people fall into problems is because when you do not heal from a season, you'll bleed in the next season. That's why some of us can't appreciate the new relationship because you're still wounded from the old relationship. That, that's why you can't make ends meet on the new job because you're still hurt and angry from the old job. At some point, you have to take the responsibility and the maturity to understand that I need to do what I need to do to grow and to get better in this season. Here's the reality. Maybe even though we don't know what he did, we do know that he did something that most of us don't want to do. He dealt with the reality that his anger... His hurt was not productive. Now, let's be honest. Being angry feels good. Oh, you going to act funny? <laughs> oh, don't sit there and act like you haven't thought in your mind. Oh, if I could just get away with something. Oh, if I could inflict the most serious amount of pain. Oh, come on. Don't act like you ain't sat there and start daydreaming. That if you could get away with something, oh boy, you would do it in a very mean and malicious way. Because for most of us, the main thing is we want them to feel what we feel. And we want to inflict as much hurt as we feel they inflicted on us. And so in our mind, the only way we're going to get this together is you need to feel what I felt. And I know there's some of you that will suggest, hey pastor, I know it's right. They say two wrongs don't make it right, but it sure do make us even. And there's a part that sometimes says, I want to be angry and mad. But one thing perhaps Esau did is he looked at what the anger and hurt was producing and had to be honest, it's not doing nothing. That when I began to navigate and marinate on what has happened to me, I must admit that instead of being better, it's made me bitter. 
I wish I had some honest people that could look at life. And I know you were hurtful and I know you were angry. But what did it produce for you? I, I know they did you wrong, but, but those feelings, when you left them there, what good came out of it? Did it stymie you? Did, was any fruit produced? And let's be honest, because you didn't deal with it and because you're still holding on to it, it has caused a toxic atmosphere to follow you wherever you are. And I know you ain't going to say it, but you got people around you that don't want to be around you. Because of some stuff that you have not chosen to deal with. And there you are bitter and, and holding off. Why? Because you refuse to deal with an unproductive, unforgiving season. Here's the truth, child of God. At the end of the day, Perhaps in the time period, whatever it was he had to navigate through, he made a decision. There's no need for me to hang on to this because it's producing no fruit. Today, the New England Patriots are in a rematch with the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a rematch from two years ago when the last time these two teams met in the Super Bowl. Just in case you didn't know, the Philadelphia Eagles defeated the New England Patriots two years ago. Just in case y'all forgot, I'm here to remind you. Philadelphia Eagles were the Super Bowl champs two years ago. We defeated the New England Patriots. This is the first time they have played since that Super Bowl. That Super Bowl two years ago where the Eagles defeated the New England Patriots. Need to make sure you don't forget that. That's, that's pivotal to the story. That the Eagles defeated the Patriots two years ago in the Super Bowl we became Super Bowl champs two years ago because we beat the Patriots, just in case. I'm not sure. The reason I raised that today at 4 o'clock, the game is going to be played. And what has been a thing is that the Eagles are going to trot out during the tossing of the coin an honorary captain, a man by the name of John Dazenbos. Don Dazenbos, you got to be a hardcore Eagle fan to know this name because he was a lifer with the Eagles. He was a long snapper for 11 years for the Philadelphia Eagles. But the year we won the championship, the Super Bowl against the Patriots, he was traded that year to the New Orleans Saints. But in the trade, during the physical, they found a rare heart condition. They had to do emergency heart surgery, and because of the rare heart condition, Joe Dazenbos had to then stop playing football. But he was so beloved in the Eagles organization that the next year after they won the Super Bowl during the ring ceremony, the owner of the Eagles gave him a Super Bowl ring. He's, he's considered Eagle family. And so today he's going out as an honorary captain against the Patriots as the Eagles play today um, as, a, as, as somebody symbolizing the Eagles organization. You're asking why is that significant? Well, he's done a lot in these two years since he's played. He's a magician by trade, but he also just recently released a book called Life is Magic. In that book, Life is Magic, he talks about how his life shifted when he got hurt, when he found this heart condition. But also, he talks about how impactful it was when he reconciled with his father. At the age of 12, John, John Dabinos, his father murdered his mother. Age of 12, he became an orphan. He had to deal with the tragedy and trauma of his own father murdering his mother. So he says that it came time right before he became a father 
that he made up his mind he wanted to sit and talk with his father. He had not seen him since he was 12 years old. And he said, I realize that if I'm going to be a better father, I'm going to have to face some things that caused me trauma in my past. He said, if I'm going to be better, and if I'm going to be the dad that I want to be, I can't continue to run from a situation that was traumatic. I'm willing to sit down with my father, raise some questions. I can't undo what has been done, but for my healing, I need to face it so I can fix it. Y'all miss what I'm saying today because I think he gives us an amazing paradigm that at some point you got to be honest and say, you know what? As much as it hurt me, it ain't producing no good. So let me face it so I can fix it because unless I fix it, I won't be better. He tells us the fruitlessness of unforgiveness is not worth the unproductivity it provides but then there's something else that is also evident in this text as we turn this diamond one more time it also suggests to us that the pain of betrayal is not greater than the possibility of a redeemed future what I'm arguing simply is this that your future is greater than your pain that's what makes this narrative so crazy because the Bible tells us that it starts by saying Jacob sees his brother Esau. And so he sees Esau, and Esau is surrounded by 400 men. In Jacob's mind, Jacob thinks to himself, my brother is trying to attack me with an army. So what does he do? You got to read this. Jacob is a crazy individual. He decides to send different convoys in order to meet Esau before he meets him. But he sends his convoys in order of least importance to most important. Just in case Esau decides to go off, it'll be the least important of his family that get killed first. And the most important would at least have a chance to run. But when Jacob gets closer to Esau, the Bible says something interesting. That when Esau sees him, he runs to him. He puts his arms around him. He embraces him. And kisses him. Now why that's interesting to me. Is remember the last time Esau saw Jacob. They were not on the best of terms. But when you do your homework. You realize why Esau. Had every right not to like Jacob. Because Jacob stole. What belonged to Esau. The number one thing he stole was. His birthright. There was a chance when Esau was out. In the field doing game. And Jacob decided to boil a, a bowl of cream of wheat. When Esau comes in, he's hungry, and Jacob tricks him. He is trading his birthright for a bowl of cream of wheat. You're asking, why is the birthright important? Well, in those days when the father dies, the inheritance is left to the children. Since there's only two sons, the oldest one would get two-thirds and the youngest one-third. By giving up the birthright, literally what Jacob stole was over half of the fortune. So he took his birthright, something he could not get back. And the second thing Jacob did was not only did he take his birthright, he took his blessing. Because you wanted the father's blessing. Matter of fact, the blessing might be greater than the birthright. It's when the father would lay his hands on his son. And he would pray a prayer of prosperity and progeny and provision in the life of the son. And you know the story that Esau goes out. As he's preparing to get the blessing. And Jacob in cahoots with his mama. Puts on the skins of an animal. 
stands in front of his father who is blind at that time. And even though the father says, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau, he blesses Jacob and gives him all the provision and prosperity. And by the time Esau comes back in the house, the father's blessings are all gone. In other words, he stole from him his birthright and he stole from him his blessing. So in this moment, when Esau sees Jacob, you got to admit he's got to look at Jacob and say, man, you the one that stole everything from me. And matter of fact, to make matters worse, Esau has to also think, I didn't do anything to you. I mean, it's one thing if you got back at me because of what I've done to you. But it's a whole nother thing when people steal from you and you ain't do nothing to them. But the text says that even though he lost some stuff, he runs up to Jacob, lunges on his neck, kisses him, and embraces him. Matter of fact, if you go with the narrative, all the rest of these verses in chapter 33, text says that in all of their conversation, he continues to call him brother. Matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that he gives him a loving affirmation. Esau begins to refer to his brother in a loving manner. And I got to be honest with you, because if I put myself in the shoes of Esau, I'm trying to think to myself, how then can you look at Jacob and not be angry? He took something from you that you will never forget back. He took your birthright. He took your blessing. And here you are. Let's be honest. For most of us, we're thinking to ourselves not about what we can gain, but what we lost. And the reason why we're angry with some people is because whenever we see them, they remind us of what we lost. We lost time. We done lost years. We done lost emotion. We done lost so much. But what I appreciate about Esau is he does not focus on what he lost. But the Bible says he focuses on what he gains. Because in a mature way, he comes to the realization, I can't change what has happened. But what I can say is that, yes, you took my birthright. And yes, you took my blessing. But yes, even though you took both those things, God still has a future for me. That's why the Bible says the only thing that trumps the trepidation of Jacob in the text is the joy of Esau. And that's why some of us don't understand how some people can be betrayed and hurt. But you can still smile. How you can be done wrong by people, but you can still begin to have a pleasant disposition. It's because you have learned that there's some stuff I cannot change, but because I got a God that cares for me, if I cast my cares upon him, he'll take care of me. And as a child of God, I don't have time to get mad over what I lost, but because I serve a God that not only takes, but he gives, that I'm at this point since I can't change it, since I can't do nothing about it, I'm going to put my life, I'm going to put my destiny in the hands of God. Because at some point it takes maturity to look at somebody that hurt you and say, you tried it, but you ain't win. You took it, but I'm going to get more. That I know you thought it was going to destroy me, but here I am still standing, still smiling, still serving, and still working. I wish I had somebody that could testify this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me and the world ain't gonna take it away you tried your best but I'm still here you tried to get me out but I'm still here at some point your work and your scheme did not work 
Look over to somebody and tell them you still got a future. That's what I come to tell you. Instead of focusing on what you lost, still think about what you got. You took my blessing, but I got my right mind. You took my birth rate, but I still got my heart. Because as long as I got something, God can utilize it and turn it around for my good. For we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God. Anybody love them? You want to lean over and tell them they tried it, but God I know this ain't gonna get everybody shouting, but at some time, you gotta make the decision I'm better than where I am. At some point, you gotta make the conscious decision I'm better than being angry, I'm better than being hurt because being angry and hurt ain't gonna do nothing for my future. And since I am content and determined to be the best me that I can be, there's some stuff I got to let go. And baby, it ain't got nothing to do with you. It's because if I stay here, I can't be where God wants me to be. So I've learned how to leave it in the hands of God and move on to the better God has for me. Clara Barton, she's the founder of the American Red Cross. There's a story told about how a friend began to discuss with her and talk with her about a very traumatic moment in her life. One that was so bad, but it was the fuel she used to birth the American Red Cross. So the friend was having a conversation one day and said, do you, do you ever even think about that situation? And she said that Barton looked at it with a strange look on her face. As if Barton didn't remember or know what she was talking about. She said, why, why are you acting like you don't remember that situation. You, you don't remember how they hurt you. and You remember how they cut you? you? You remember how they did you wrong? And this was Barton's reply. She said, you're right. I remember forgetting all about it. In other words, she said, listen, I've got to this point that I can't do nothing about it. And so I made a decision to remember to forget why. Because I know my future is better than where I am. Here's the third thing. I'm done. Third turning of this diamond. I've got to get out of here. The freedom of reconciliation is greater than the desire for restoration. Here's what's crazy. I'm done. Bible tells us all of a sudden Jacob looks upon his face. He makes this, this announcement in verse 10. He said, looking at your face like looking at the face of God. And verse 11, he offers a gift to Esau. This is important because remember when Jacob met him, he bowed. In those days, bowing was a sign of submission. It was a sign of respect to someone you deemed to be superior. So in this moment, after bowing, not once, but the Bible says seven times, verse 11 says that now he offers him a gift. It's in the, in the amount of about 550 animals. And initially Esau is reluctant in receiving it. But after some prodding, Esau accepts the gift from his brother. This is huge because in those days to receive the gift symbolize two things. Number one, friendship. It means that the axe has been thrown away and there is now a channel of relationship. But it wasn't just friendship, but by accepting the gift, it was also a sign of reconciliation. That what has been breached has now been mended. So he gives him the gift. He accepts it. And then Esau says, well, I know we got journey to go. That's why I brought these 400 men. You thought they were my army. But these were the people I was going to use to protect you on the journey. 
But in his way of trying to send word about the journey, Jacob, in his own little crazy way, said, man, bro, I'll be honest with you. I don't, we don't need to journey. My, my people ain't strong enough. We'll just slow you down. We'll, we, we won't be able to hang with y'all on this journey. And the Bible says something in verse 16 that is so powerful to me. And if you catch this revelation, I ain't got to work hard, but I got a bad feeling y'all going to make me work hard today. Because verse 16 says, after getting mended the relationship, after friendship has now been restored and reconciliation has now happened, verse 16 blesses my soul. Verse 16 says, so Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Y'all missed it. I'm sorry. He came to him. He embraced him. He has matured. Forgiveness has taken place. Reconciliation has now been offered. Gift has been exchanged. That means friendship and reconciliation is together. And yet, when it's time to go on the journey together, they mutually decide it's not good for us to journey the same way. So Jacob goes his way and Esau goes his way. He goes back to see her. He goes back to see her that exact same day. See, y'all missed it because for many of us, the reason why you struggle with forgiveness is that you assume that forgiveness means restoration. But the text is clear that you can forgive somebody and not go the same way with somebody. That perhaps the most freeing thing of reconciliation is that we can be reconciled, but we ain't necessarily got to be restored. Which means it's not up to me to make it go back to what it used to be. Those were the times we appreciate those moments and I'm not going to ever devalue what you were in my life but in this season I done did my part and since I've done my part you can go your way and I can go my way. I can love you from a distance boo boo I'm praying for you but in this season you go that way and I'm, I wish I had some people that can testify that sometimes the mature part of restoration is that we're not going to always be singing kumbaya some stuff is not going to be what it used to be but in a season of maturity I'm okay with what it is now I done mended my heart I done told you I'm good I wish you well but baby in this season you can go that way and I'm going to go my way I wish I had somebody that can testify at some point reconciliation does not always mean restoration I need to help you because some of us think that we got to get back together. No, you don't. We, we still got to be BFFs. No, you don't. We still got to hang out at each other's house. No, you don't. Once you open your heart and you've forgiven, you've done your part, you have freed yourself. Now, baby, sometimes the next medication is that, listen, I love you, but you can go your way and I can go my way. Because once you've got me once, I wish I had somebody. I done opened my heart. I ain't going to kill you. I'm going to wish you well. Something happens. I'm going to send you a Facebook message. I'm praying for your mama. But guess what, baby? You go that way and I'm going to go. I wish I had some witnesses. Lean over and tell somebody. I forgive give you but not everything has to be restored I'm done play softball y'all making me work too hard play softball everyone's standing I'm done everyone's standing everyone's standing I gotta go listen ah uh, man I could stay there all day uh, cause see some of us under the phallic listen some stuff ain't never gonna be what it was but I don't judge my forgiveness based on you coming back in the same place in my life I forgive you, it just ain't what it used to be. 
This past week, guys, I was driving in my car, and I was traveling a lot, but I was having some issues with the console in my car. For some reason, something in my car kept moving. It was trying to load media when I didn't have media to the point where it was causing my car not to function properly. I had no sound coming from the car. I couldn't go on radio. I tried to plug in my phone. All my whole thing was doing was just twirling. It was loading media to the point where it was not functioning properly. Because it wasn't functioning properly, I could not utilize my vehicle to its fullest capacity. I was riding, but I wasn't enjoying the ride. Because I'm one of those, I don't necessarily listen to music, I listen to podcasts. But I, at this moment, because of something going on in my console, um, I wasn't able to utilize it like I should utilize it. So I ended up having to call the people, and because a type of car got the closest dealer is in Columbia. So I said, hey, uh, I need to call, set up an appointment because... My car is not functioning at its capacity. So I finally got the service people online, and I said, hey, guys, I need to make an appointment. They said, sir, what's going on, Dr. Goodman? I said, well, this is happening in my car, and, and it's not functioning right. They said, Dr. Goodman, you don't need to bring that to us. I said, what you mean? My car ain't functioning right. It's, <laughs> it's not going at its full capacity. It's not working correctly. I need to bring it to you so you can fix it. I said, Dr. Goodman, you don't need to bring that to us to fix it. You can fix it yourself. He said, go to settings. He sat me in the car, and I went to settings. He says, what I need you to do is make a factory reset. Do the factory reset. It'll reset your entire module in your car, and it'll fix your problem. You don't have to bring it to us to do it. You can do it. See, that's like forgiveness, guys. You keep wanting somebody else to fix it for you. You want somebody else to make you forgive. You want somebody else to help you with unforgiveness. Let me tell you something. Nobody else can help you. You can't take you to somebody else. But God gave us the incredible ability to fix it our Somebody needs to have a reset today. You can't undo what has happened. I wish I could tell you, listen, and here's the reality. Some people ain't even sorry for what they did. See, that's why some of us struggle with forgiveness. Maybe I'll put this in a sermon later. Is that you want them to feel bad. To suffer like you did. Some people ain't suffering like you suffering. If that's what you're waiting on, baby, you may be waiting a long time. And if that's your issue because they don't feel as bad as you feel, baby, you're going to be a long time this way. At some point, forgiveness is not about really them. It's about freeing yourself. To say, no longer am I going to continue to be incarcerated in a cell with the door wide open. I can't help how people do something to me. And I've been hurt and scarred and wounded. I've been pained and I've been struggled, but I had to make the mature decision. You know what? I'm going to be bigger than that. Because if I let myself continue to wallow in my hurt and continue to be angry every day, I wouldn't be better. I'd be better. If you're waiting on everybody to treat you right before you accomplish something, baby, you got a long way to go. There will always be offense and hurt and pain and those things. At some point, you got to say, you know what? I'm bigger than that. 
I'm bigger than what's happened to me. That I, I refuse in this season to be a victim, but to be a victor. And I refuse to let what you do to me hinder me from being all God wants me to be. So I walk in this area of forgiveness. Even ain't for you. Because some people you got to forgive and they ain't even ask for forgiveness. And you just say, I forgive you anyhow. You don't even want it. Cool. It's good. I'm doing this for me. Because who the sun sets free. Free indeed. Grab someone by the hand. We're going to pray together. Our preacher's going to pray. As your head is bowed, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what hurt has incarcerated you. I don't know who you need to forgive. And I'm not saying it's going to take today. I'm naive to tell you that it's an overnight thing. It's going to take some time. But in order for you to embrace it, you got to at least take the first step. And learn to say, you know what, God, I need you to help fill my heart. God, help me to move beyond this anger and bitterness that I see creeping up in my life. So my prayer as they come, preacher's going to pray, the thing I want you to get out of today is you got to face it to fix it. Do not allow unforgiveness to continue to keep you stuck in the same place as your head is bowed. Gracious God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the reminder of the power of forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for bringing to our attention our need to forgive. For, Lord, we know that when we harbor forgiveness, it leaves a gap in us. It leaves a place where you cannot touch. Forgiveness, Lord God, is our unwillingness, Lord God, to put it back in your hands. And on today, Lord, we put it back in your hands. Well, we know that this is a journey that is going to take some time. It's going to take some willpower. It's going to take some decisions to forgive. And Lord, we just pray you give us what we need to process through this journey. And Lord, some of us are holding strong to unforgiveness because we cannot envision ourselves without it. It has become so much of our identity and who we are that we cannot give it up. But Lord, expand our horizon. Expand our identity and who we are so we can see better and bigger outside of it. Allow us, Lord God, to give it to you. Allow us, Lord God, to walk ourselves through, to give ourselves the time, to give ourselves the patience to give ourselves the love so that we may be in a better place. We thank you. We thank you for this word. We thank you for how it inspired us, Lord God, how it opened our hearts and our minds to new dimensions in you. We pray for each household represented in this place, Lord God, 
You know what we stand in need of. You know those areas, Lord God, that we need to give over to you. And we just thank you for your ability, Lord God, to tap us on our shoulder and say, gracefully, I'm here. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you do. And we ask so much more in your son Jesus' name. Can we say amen? Amen. 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 And amen. Hug your brother and sister. Amen. Amen. The doors of the church are open. Forgiveness is always a touchy message. But it's one that is great. One that resounds through the Christian faith. For it's because of Christ that we're all forgiven. Even before we were thought of. Even before we were created. God put in place a forgiveness mechanism to help us be reconciled and restored back to him. And we offer that to you on this morning, to be reconciled and restored back to your Lord. For he misses you and he loves you. And he opens his arms to you. And if you are willing to take the hug, willing to accept the gracious of the Lord on this morning, take the deacon's hand, take the minister's hand, and come down and allow us to start you on your journey. But we are excited about how the Lord works with us and through us. All of us are a work in progress. No one has the perfect solution. But we all have the testimony in this place that with the Lord, a lot is possible. Much is possible. All is possible. So we extend the offer of salvation to you on this morning. We also extend the opportunity for those who have accepted Christ but have not connected to a church family to come and be a part of this family. We're not perfect. We're all working towards the same goal. But we will love to be your family as we work together, as we push you to be what the Lord has set you to be, as we come together and strive together in Christ. Let's strive together. We extend the invitation of discipleship to you on this morning. Will you accept any of the invitations? Amen. Let us celebrate in this place on this morning. Amen. 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 Please make sure you, when you leave this place, that this message, amen, leave with you. I know the holidays are coming. We're going to be with family. Amen. And friends. Amen. The Thanksgiving and Christmas is always appropriate for forgiveness <laughs> on so many levels. So we pray for you um, as you prepare your hearts and your spirit to be with your families on this season. For some of you, this is probably a very sad season because you're in the spirit of mourning as well. So we pray your script as well. Please be mindful of all the many things we have going on. Stop by the connection tent to get yourself connected. Amen. With that said, let us raise our hand because I've been blessed. I'm going to be a blessing. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. Don't forget, go by our website, tbcaugusta.org, there to see all that we got going on. And also, I thank you in advance for your benevolence and your gift that helps us promote the kingdom of God. Listen, I want to see you come back. Check us out later. Love you much. Take care. Peace.